0: Amen. Thank you, Rebecca. Good morning, church. If you got a Bible, let's turn to Ruth chapter four. If you don't have one, grab the black copy of God's Word near you, and let's consider what uh, Rebecca has just read for us—the closing chapter of the book of Ruth, a uh, important, uh, needed end to this this great story. Um, as I was thinking through uh, some of the uh, emphases and um, uh, the important truths coming out of this chapter, one of the words that uh, kept being repeated over and over and over was the word witness. Uh, there are witnesses to what's happening in this, in this story, and it made me consider different things I've witnessed, or uh, maybe you've been to certain places that you've witnessed something great, Uh, maybe a a national park or uh, just a moment, a a sunrise or a sunset, or maybe you've experienced uh, something that you had to give witness to, a car crash, Uh, and you've had to be a witness to tell what has happened in that moment, or uh, maybe you uh, experienced something that if you didn't see with your own eyes, you wouldn't have believed, and and the witnesses around you were the only way that you have proof uh, of that thing actually happening. Uh, Well, that happened to me many years ago. Uh, Just one after morning, I was studying for seminary uh, in my apartment in North Arlington, and I thought, I'm just going to go play nine holes of golf by myself. I went and played nine holes of golf, and I think on like the third hole, it was a par three, and I pulled out, I think, my like, nine iron, hit the nine iron, the ball hits the, the green, begins to roll to the right, and disappears in the hole, hole in one. I, I never would have believed that that would have actually happened to me. Uh, praise be to God, there was a witness Uh, I went to play by myself, but at the clubhouse that day was a man who was also going to play by himself. And we were like, Hey, let's walk together. Let's enjoy this, get to know one another. He was just as dumbfounded as me that the ball went in the hole because the first two holes, my, I didn't even hit the fairway. I was like, it didn't matter because that ball went in the hole. And even though I had a witness sign my scorecard, my dad still does not believe me to this day. But I had a witness. A witness that saw this actually happening. And, and, and there were witnesses to this story in the book of Ruth. In fact, as you heard read, Boaz knew the importance of having a witness to what was happening so that something else couldn't be said about what happened, that, that someone else wouldn't uh, say something in the future to negate what happened in this story. Witnesses were important uh, in this story. Not only in this story, but in the coming stories that this story is a part of. Um, and so we want to consider that theme uh, this morning in, in, in this passage. Uh, the book of Ruth is told a, a short story uh, but, but wonderful story regarding um, yes, the life of Naomi and yes, the life of Ruth and yes, the life of Boaz, but it's so much more than that. Um, chapter 1 of Ruth started uh, with uh, a, a man named Elimelech and uh, Naomi running from a famine in Bethlehem going away from God's ways and God's place and the house of bread to find bread somewhere else. Uh, And they went to Moab, an enemy territory, and there they had two sons, but both Elimelech and those two sons died. And it was at that point that Naomi had a choice to make, Uh, return to God or continue away from God. And she returned to God. And with her, she brought her daughter-in-law, Ruth, who at that moment said, I'm going to make your God my God. Uh, I'm going to make your people my people. That whole chapter was uh, summed up in that idea of turning or returning back to the Lord. Something that many of us have turn to the Lord once and for all and at different times have had to return to the Lord. Uh, It would be good encouragement for us to make sure that we do that each and every day, this day included. And as they returned back to Bethlehem, Ruth went out in accordance with God's laws of that day to glean or to pick from the grain that was at the edges of the field just to find some meager scraps in that day. Uh, Lo and behold, she was gleaning in a man named Boaz's field, and Boaz didn't just let her have the meager scraps at the edge of the field, but upon realizing who she was, a Moabite woman, uh, the daughter-in-law of Naomi, who had made the Lord her God and had made the Lord's people her people, he abundantly provided for her, gave her more than she could ever imagine, uh, gave her a wonderful meal with him and his other workers that day, so much so that she took leftovers home to Naomi that night, and Naomi asked, who, who gave you all of this? Whose field did you glean in and come home with this much grain? And she says, in the field of Boaz, uh, to which Naomi that, uh, that evening said, Ah, he's a relative of ours. Uh, The Lord hinting at what was about to happen. And so, chapter 3 started with this time, uh, Naomi encouraging Ruth to go in accordance with God's Word and invite Boaz, who was a relative, to redeem Ruth. That is, to marry Ruth. To... Uh, invite him to do what the Old Testament said ought to be done by worthy men, which was if a brother, if a husband died of a woman, that the brother-in-law was to marry that woman uh, and to be able to have a family with her, to be able to carry on the name of the dead. This was one of the ways that God provided for widows uh, in that day and age. Uh, And and so Ruth went to Boaz. And like she took shelter under the wings of the Lord for her salvation, she also takes shelter under the wings of Boaz, uh, hoping to find um, temporary earthly shelter under his wings as a redeemer in finding a husband. Of which he responds to that invitation... Uh, I will redeem you, but there's a closer Redeemer than I. And so he says, wait, and I will go and see if this other Redeemer will redeem you. And if not, I will do it. And so chapter 3 closes with Naomi encouraging Ruth to wait, because Boaz will make this right today. Whether the other one will redeem you, or whether he will, he'll make it right today. Someone will redeem you to today, uh, today. And so we get to chapter four, and chapter four really closes three separate storylines. It closes the storyline that was kind of cliffhangered at the end of chapter three that Boaz was going to go and confront this other redeemer uh, and see who would redeem it closes another story of the larger story of Ruth that uh, Naomi uh, went away full with a husband and two sons but came back empty. Uh, we're, We're going to see that story come to a close. And then there's an even greater story that goes beyond the pages of Ruth that this story wraps up and concludes as well. There's one day... At a gate, there's nine months in a house in Bethlehem, and there's another 900 years in a genealogy. Those are the stories, those are the conclusions that we find in in Ruth chapter 2, or Ruth chapter 4. And and this is one of the things that we're going to, to see played out in this story: is that this story is not just about Ruth, not just about Naomi and Boaz. This story is about God. It's about God redeeming His people ultimately through Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Sinclair Ferguson, in his commentary describing this this story, says that God is uh, intimately aware of us. He's deeply concerned for our welfare. But his providential purposes, which include me, do not center on me, as though what he is doing in me could be isolated from everything else he's doing. This is what Ruth chapter 4 really teaches us that yes, the story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz is concluded, but. This is just one tiny blip on the radar of God's larger story of redemption of all of His people, ultimately through the death and the resurrection uh, of Jesus Christ. And it's so easy for us to get focused on our little bitty story and to think that we're the, the center of God's story or that everything in this world revolves around us, but it doesn't. Everything in our stories uh, is used by God to point to Him, to point to Jesus Christ. We're a part of that, but we're not the actor on center stage. The Lord is. And and this story gets us going in that direction. This story gives us the trajectory to be able to look forward from Ruth's day and age, uh, from the time when this story about Ruth was written during David's time or after David's time, it points us forward to, to Jesus Christ. And I want us to see that clearly. And so if you're taking notes, in verses 1-12, through 12, you ought to note this. This witness, uh, witnessing of redemption at the gate. I want us, as we put ourselves back in this story this morning, to witness redemption at the gate the gate. Remember, Naomi and Ruth are waiting at home, according to chapter 3, verse 18, where Naomi says, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. So chapter 4, verse 1, now Boaz, he had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the, the Redeemer... Uh, though he says he's willing to redeem, and as Rebecca read for us, we know that he in the end will be the Redeemer. The author is saying that the closer Redeemer is the Redeemer. And so this Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. And it, it reads originally kind of like uh, Ruth chapter 2 read, uh, that uh, she just happened to be in Boaz's field. And, and this is how this verse reads, that Boaz went to the gate of the city, and behold, the Redeemer just happened to be coming along at, at that time. It didn't just happen. It was, it was the Lord's will, as the author is describing for us. Many years later, when hindsight is 2020. And so Boaz said to him, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. And so they sat down. So you have Boaz, you have the Redeemer, and you have these ten elders at the gate. And that sounds like the opening of a joke, right? Boaz and a Redeemer, and ten elders at the gate. But what that really does is set up the story. It sets up the story for the conversation that's to be had. Uh, it, It gives us the witnesses of redemption at the gate. And so Boaz opens up his mouth. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought, nice me, I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know. For there is no one besides you to redeem it. And I come after you. Now, if you don't know this story, when Boaz is saying that to this Redeemer in the presence of these witnesses, after Ruth chapter 3 where Boaz says, I'm coming for you. (laughs) I'll redeem you. You expect this guy to say, "Ah, no, no big deal. You can have it. You know, I know this is a romantical story and everything's going to be happy in the end and you go and get it, but you don't. That's not what we read. What does he say? He says, I will redeem it. And so now at that point in the movie, those of you that want Boaz to get together with Ruth in the end, you're kind of like, oh no, what's going to happen? And so Boaz then goes beyond that. Uh, What he has introduced here is a creative way of selling it or not selling it. Uh, What he uh, is doing here is um, basing this first option on the law of God. Uh, A law from Leviticus chapter 25, where if a man died, another brother died or another man in his family, could buy his land from him. And so to this Redeemer, when he hears about Naomi, a really old widow, having a parcel of land with no sons to pass that land on to, this man looks at that situation and says, have I got a deal? Uh, I can buy this land. It may cost me a little bit right now, but in the end, I'm going to be able to make a ton of money on this land. I'm going to be able to uh, farm it out. I'm going to be able to get grain and sell it. This is a great business deal. And that's exactly what Boaz was hoping he would think. To which Boaz adds, Uh, there in verse 5. Oh, I'm sorry. I just forgot. Just one more thing Boaz says. Oh, just hold one second. Before you sign the contract, before you give the money, Boaz said, the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead, In his inheritance. And so Boaz says, just one little caveat here. You know, when you buy that land, as great of a business deal as that sounds, realize too, you also have to redeem uh, Naomi and Ruth. And because Ruth's husband died, you have to marry her and have a child with her and give part of your inheritance to him. So now this closer redeemer, this shrewd businessman, uh, is now thinking about his future. Earlier, it was going to cost him a little bit at the beginning, but in the end, he'd have even more inheritance to give to his children. Now he's thinking about the situation and and saying, I have to redeem Ruth and have another child, which means that my inheritance is going to be divided in, in the end. And really... According to the rest of that chapter in Leviticus 25, it says that every 50 years, even if you buy that land from a man who dies, it goes back to that original family in the year of Jubilee. So this man's thinking now, if I just buy this land right here and right now, I'm going to eventually have to give it back. That's not good for my inheritance later on, it's not worth it anymore. He doesn't want to uh, do this anymore. So he responds in verse 6. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. To which, again, everybody watching this movie Everybody hearing this story for the first time is thinking, yeah, they're going to get together. Because the Redeemer, the closer Redeemer, is not wanting to actually redeem. This Redeemer, quote-unquote, is like the exact opposite of Boaz. He, he's, he's the foil in the story. He, he's the... Uh, the opposite of Boaz in that Boaz has been described as a worthy man. One who abundantly provides more than he is required to according to the law uh, for someone just gleaning at the edges of his field. But this person is thinking only about himself. He's thinking only about the short term. He, if it may cost him a little bit in the beginning, but then pay off in the end, he's for it. But if it's going to cost him a lot and not pay off uh, in the end as far as finances, then he doesn't want any part of it. Boaz, on the other hand, is willing to pay the price. And and if we just pause right there just to shoot forward uh, a thousand years to the time of Christ, let me just ask you, aren't you thankful that your redeemer didn't look, Jesus Christ didn't look at your situation and think, man, that's gonna cost me a lot. That's gonna cost me so much. that's gonna cost me my life to redeem them back. Now, you know what? Like if it just cost me a little, that'd be okay. If I could just, you know, a few, few drops of blood, finger prick, a few drops of blood, uh, that would be good, but you, I have to die. I have to be buried. I have to go through all of that suffering and shame. Uh, no, it's not worth it. When we look at these two quote unquote redeemers, there's only one that is a type of Christ. There's only one that, that shows us what the Messiah is going to look like in the future. It's the one who's willing to pay the price, it's the one that's willing to count the cost and, and willingly. Uh, step forward in obedience. This other one is the exact opposite of that, running away from from that opportunity. So we need to see here the, the beautiful picture that we have uh, of, of Boaz, but also in, in light of that foil, that, that opposite redeemer of his. Well, you continue reading, and then in verse 7, we have kind of a, a pause, a historical interlude. And it's interesting because this info is helpful for us uh, reading this a thousand years later. But because the author was not writing during the time of Ruth, this information was also helpful for the people that he was writing to. Maybe this tradition didn't, didn't keep going. Uh, per se. Or, or maybe this wasn't, uh, they weren't as aware of this tradition uh, w- during the time when the author was writing. But it's helpful nevertheless for them and for us. And it says in verse 7, Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning the redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, I want you to imagine this. Those of you who uh, have, have bought houses Uh, have exchanged property or uh, exchanged uh, some business transaction. Imagine yourself doing this. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the manner of attesting in Israel. Uh, This is why you don't... uh, apply everything you read in the Bible to your life immediately today. Otherwise, you would be in some embarrassing situations when you try to take off your sandal and pass it on to that other brother or sister. Uh, nevertheless, this is what was done in the past. And so, in verse 8, when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, he drew off his uh, his sandal. Uh, the... Uh, there's another description of that tradition also in Deuteronomy 25 when it describes the Levite marriage when a, a widow would marry the brother-in-law to be able to have a family with him and have children with him. If that brother-in-law is unwilling to marry the widow, the widow is to take his sandal off and spit in his face. And so I think this redeemer is trying to jump the gun here a little bit and say, I'm just going to take off my sandal and give it to, the, to Boaz so Ruth doesn't spit in my face later uh, in the end. And maybe this guy will redeem it and, and move forward in that. And Boaz actually does. Boaz in verse 9 said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses. Boaz knew this would be important for if it was just between him and the other Redeemer, um, somebody could have said something. This Redeemer could have come back years later and said, no, that's not what happened. But there are witnesses to what is happening. And that's good for Boaz, but it's also for this this deal that's happening but it's also good for these other people to see what God is doing they're not just witnesses of a business transaction they're witnesses of God's redemption of his people God acting in the midst of history and Boaz notes that you're witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of of Naomi, all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day." And so in that moment, in that business transaction, Boaz is buying the property that Naomi has in her family. And it uses the language, buys Ruth to be his wife. Now, I just want us to make sure we understand the context of what that language is really saying. That's not saying that God or the Bible think that women are are a property for you guys to buy to be your wives. That's not what's happening here. The language of God's provisional laws in the Old Testament are are just being used here. That God saw it fit to take care of His people in this way in that there could be a person who would buy the property and and to give a bridal price if you will and it's this language that's then carried forward into the new testament when jesus says i purchased you my bride with my very own blood and my very own life and so we can't be okay with that language when it sounds good to to Jesus in purchasing us to be His bride in the New Testament, and not do the harder work it is to see the the use of that the healthy right use of that language in this passage uh, for our understanding. So I just wanted to note that in that day, but Boaz he makes this transaction. And then in verse 11, these witnesses, they speak up. All the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. The witnesses, you can imagine not only the ten elders, but there's more people, a crowd Has gathered around them. And and when this happens, they're praising God and they're blessing Boaz and and Ruth, even though, remember, Ruth's not there. Where is she? She's back at home, peering out the window, waiting for Boaz or or this other Redeemer to come over the hillside and and to be able to come and, and to redeem her. Ruth's not there, but these people are almost praying over her and blessing her and say, may she be like Rachel and Leah. Those would be two women you might be familiar with in reading Genesis. In Genesis 29 and 31, these were two of the four women who brought about uh, the children of Jacob who brought about the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, of which they too had no children until the Lord opened their womb and gave them children. Another story about God intervening in history and giving a family children whom He would later use to uh, bring about His people, the nation of Israel. And so these people are praying that Ruth too would be like Rachel and Leah. And that the Lord would build up the house of Israel through this woman. Hold that. That's important. It'll come back to us in just a a little bit. They go on and say, they, they continue their prayer, May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. Boaz has already been described as worthy. He's Um, shown himself worthy in this situation. They're witnesses of his worthiness and they're praying and and asking that he would continue in his worthiness. Saying, may you be renowned. May may you be known by whose you are and who you are uh, by the people around you. And then They go on in verse 12 and say, And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this woman. Now, if you don't know your Bibles, that story right there is one you would just like to kind of skip over when you get to that story. Genesis 38, it's... Not a fun story uh, to read personally. It's definitely not a fun one to read to your littler children. Uh, But this story is important in this way. That story uh, is a story about uh, Judah um, choosing a wife for his oldest son, Ur, uh, who uh, married Tamar. And Ur was an evil man and the Lord put him to death. Then his brother was to marry Tamar, but he wasn't willing to have children with her, so the Lord put him to death. Then Judah should have given Tamar his third son, but he didn't. And so Tamar, in a trickery situation, uh, sought to pretend to be a prostitute, to have a child with Judah himself to carry on that lineage in accordance with this Leverite marriage. And so these people who know that history are saying, may Ruth uh, be like that. May God in unforeseen situation seek to bring about a lineage, to bring about another generation through his ways, through his plans, through his purposes, God used that sinful situation in Genesis 38 to bring about um, the the tribes that were to come uh, in the future. God will use this situation to bring about um, the nations, uh, the the generations that are to come that we'll look at in a little bit that will eventually lead to Christ Himself. And so these people are, are praying prayers, historical prayers, but prayers that give us insight into the future of, of what's coming. And so comes to the the conclusion of that first storyline that the author wraps up there. That Boaz is going to be able to redeem and has... Um, stepped forward in faith and obedience in front of all of these witnesses to redeem Ruth, rather than the other closer redeemer, uh, of which the author continues in verse thirteen with the second conclusion of stories that uh, that he's bringing to an end in Ruth chapter four. This one is the witness uh, that we're to witness redemption in a son. In thirteen through seventeen, you you ought to note. This witness, witnessing of redemption through a son. So Boaz took Ruth. She became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Now, again, if you're watching this movie, watching this series, in this episode, You're wanting to see Ruth waiting at home, uh, peering out the window, waiting for Boaz to come, running in slow motion, you know, like over the hillside with arms wide open and Ruth, you know, opening up the door and running to him. But we don't see that in this story. You know why? It's not about Ruth and Boaz, this story is not a romance about these two people who uh, had an impossible situation but were brought together. This is a story about God intervening in the midst of these people to bring about His plan of redemption. This is why it doesn't end in, uh, you know, an ooey-gooey, romantical way as much as some of you would love it to end that way, and as much as some of you are thankful that it doesn't end in that way. This is about something much bigger than Ruth and Boaz getting together. And so in 14, it says that the women, after Ruth and Boaz come together, have a son, the women that is the women of Bethlehem, the women of the town, they say to Naomi. Blessed be the Lord, Yahweh, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may His name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Has given birth to him. So one of the neat things is as you begin to read those comments from those women to Naomi at the beginning, you may think they're talking about Boaz. He's the Redeemer. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. He's given you Boaz. May his name, may Boaz be renowned. Didn't they just pray that earlier? May His name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. But no, this Redeemer, this One who's to be renowned, is the Son. It's Obed. There is redemption here in a Son. And these women of the city of Bethlehem are witnesses to it. Remember these women... Came earlier in the story as well when Naomi came back from Moab with Ruth. And and they said, Is this Naomi? And she said to them in chapter 1, verse 20, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara or bitter, for the Almighty has dealt with me very bitterly. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? The women were witnesses of Naomi's emptiness. After leaving Bethlehem full with a husband and sons, now she, then she came back to Bethlehem empty, without a husband, without sons, and just one measly daughter-in-law to which that daughter-in-law became more than seven sons to her because she gave her an actual grandson. Uh, now her arms are full. She, she has a grandson of which she will become a nurse later on. And so these women have witnessed her going away full coming back empty, and now the Lord filling her arms with a a grandchild who is Naomi's Redeemer, who is to be renowned in Israel. And then in verse 16, Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed, which means serving or worshiping. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. They, these women were witness, uh, witnesses of redemption in Naomi's life through this son of Boaz and Ruth, through this grandson of her own named Obed, who was to be renowned and uh, was hopefully to be about the building up of this house in Israel and he would do just that again this is bringing to conclusion the larger story of Ruth that started during the time of judges Uh, and if you remember how judges ended it said that there was no king in Israel and people were doing what was right in their own eyes. Well, now we've heard this great story about a man who didn't do what was right in his own eyes, Boaz, but did what was right in the Lord's eyes. And in doing so, he brought about a son who would eventually give birth to King David. We go from having no king and people doing what was right in their own eyes to having the lineage of a king through one who did what was right in the Lord's eyes. This is a reminder to those of us who have uh, turned to the Lord uh, that we ought to trust in the Lord's ways, that we ought to aim to do what is right in his eyes, not what's right in our own eyes, and entrust trust. Redemption, salvation to Him, to entrust our futures to Him, to entrust our children to Him, our jobs to Him, uh, our futures to Him. These were witnesses that even those who came back empty, the Lord could fill in His timing and in His ways. Uh, The Lord can do that for us as well. Uh, whatever the Lord would want us to have, He can fill us. He can give us exactly what we're going to need in this life uh, to honor and glorify Him and to make Him known in this life. It's a challenge to us to, to remember that our little stories are just one little part of God's bigger story. And that while our stories may be included in part of God's story. We're not the center of that story. Uh, We're just a a part of it. And our part is to uh, worship the Lord, to make God look good, to point others to Him in this bigger story of things. And that's what Boaz and Ruth's life does. Their son who's Name means serving and worshiping is pointing people to the Lord who is worthy of all praise and all honor and glory. This story, again, is not about Ruth and Boaz. This story is about how the Lord used Ruth and Boaz to bring about redemption, not only in their life, but in the life of all people uh, through them. Might we see that uh, as well? Our lives are not about us. They're about the Lord. And they're about how the Lord might use us to bring honor and glory to His name and to point others to Him as well as we serve, as we worship Him as well. But this story ends with a genealogy. Some of your favorite. And if you thought you could just skip over that last section, I'd encourage you not to because we witness redemption in a king. We've witnessed redemption in a personal, individual way at the gate. We've witnessed redemption in a larger story of Ruth in a son named Obed. But here we witness redemption in a king. And it's the genealogy that goes all the way back to that infamous story of Perez who fathered Hezron and Hezron fathered Ram Ram fathered Amminadab and Amminadab fathered Nashon Nashon fathered Salmon and Salmon fathered Boaz and there it is Boaz fathered Obed Obed fathered Jesse and Jesse fathered David Genealogies like this are important. Um, Not just for the people that the author of Ruth was writing to, but also for the people in the New Testament. For this part of a larger genealogy is copied into Jesus' genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. This is just one um, part one generation of an entire lineage that brings about the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus Christ. And talk about an, an impossible situation when Mary, the mother of Jesus, a virgin betrothed to Joseph to be her husband, says, how am I going to have this, this child? I'm not even married yet. The angel comes back to her and says, What's impossible with God is possible. What's impossible with man is possible with God. And and Ruth's story is no different. This was an impossible situation. But realize you you don't have Ruth and Boaz coming together. You, You don't have King David. You don't have King David. You don't have. King Jesus entering into the stage of history and fulfilling all of those Old Testament promises. God entered into this point in history and orchestrated some amazing things. He entered uh, into history by sending His one and only Son to earth, just like He entered into Ruth's story and went all the way to Moab to get her and bring her back to Bethlehem to be able to meet and marry Boaz. If God could do it then, in Ruth's story, the author was wanting the people he was writing to hundreds of years later to know he could do it in their story as well. And that points us forward to Jesus' story to say if he did it in the past, he could do it in Jesus' story story in mary's story bringing her and joseph together to have jesus who, who was born of a virgin and if he could do it in jesus's life then he can do it in our life as well enter into our lives bring us to be witnesses if you will of the good news of the gospel something that's too good to believe that we could be forgiven of our sins uh, wiped clean of our trespasses, offered heaven and eternal life with God forever. We are witnesses of this. And even though we weren't eyewitnesses of Jesus' birth, of his life, even though we weren't eyewitnesses of his death, his burial, his resurrection, or his ascension, um, Jesus, after his resurrection, he comes to Thomas who doubts. We call him Doubting Thomas. And he says, I'm not going to believe that Jesus rose from the dead unless I, unless I see him, unless I put my finger in his hands where the nails went through him on the cross. And Jesus comes to Thomas in that moment. And he says... Here are my hands, here are my feet. Touch, believe. And he looks back at Thomas, though. In John chapter 20, verse 29, he said, You have seen and have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who will not be witnesses of these things that you have seen and yet still believe. We weren't eyewitnesses to Jesus. We weren't eyewitnesses to Ruth's situation, but the Holy Spirit has given us these stories. The Holy Spirit has revealed God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in these scriptures, in these stories. We're witnesses. We're reading eyewitness testimony of these stories, Holy Spirit inspired witnesses of these stories. And we too are witnesses of the change that the story of Christ and the gospel have brought about in our lives. And we're receivers, uh, like those people said over Boaz and over Ruth, blessed are you. Jesus said, blessed are you who don't see these things and yet still believe. We're witnesses of that blessing. Those of us who have uh, seen who God is, Who Jesus is that he died that he rose on the dead in our place to take the punishment for our sin Uh, we haven't seen these things and yet we've believed them and we are receivers of that blessing and we're sent out then to be witnesses of that same truth again even though we weren't eyewitnesses ourselves we have others' eyewitness testimony and their signature on the scorecard, if you will, that these things really happened. Uh, and we go out and we then witness. We share the, these stories of who Jesus is and what He's done with others so that they too might repent and believe and be receivers of that blessing that Jesus mentioned in John twenty twenty nine. This story of Ruth has so many implications for us. But for us this morning, it's to realize that it's not about us. It's about the Lord working redemption in the midst of history through real people, um, revealing that story of redemption to us and sending us out to be witnesses of his redemption to the world. I hope and pray that if you have believed that to be the case, that you're encouraged, that God is working in the midst of your life and that he wants to use you to bring about his plans uh, to build a kingdom for his name's sake here in Arlington and Mansfield and beyond the world through your prayers, through your serving, through your worshiping. And if you've yet to turn to the Lord, like Ruth did in the beginning of the story. Realize that you're missing out on the Lord's intervention in your life. You're, you're missing out on the salvation that's made available to you through Jesus' death and resurrection. And I encourage you this morning to turn to Him. Repent of your sins or return to Him. Repent of your sins and believe in Him. And let the Lord show you how Just as he's intervened in history, he can intervene in your life and use you for his name's sake in this world. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that we would realize how big you really are. And as big as you are, you saw fit to intervene in one little story in Moab and Bethlehem years ago. To bring about a, another generation that would bring about um, the kingly generation of David that would bring about um, Jesus Christ's family. And the fulfillment of all of those promises of the Old Testament. Father, I pray that we would be humbled. That when we're tempted to think that this life is all about us, And that when things don't go our way, uh, Lord, we would be reminded to look up and to look to You, to entrust our lives to You uh, first and foremost. God, I pray that You would help us to spend our lives uh, having read the truth of witnesses before and come to believe them ourselves, to enjoy the blessing of, of faith uh, in Jesus Christ, that we would share these truths with others, so that they too might be receivers of Your grace and Your favor and Your redemption. That we would go out of this place as as witnesses, sent out to be the church in the world, Your bride, who You bought with the price of Your very own body and Your blood. May we go out, not um, only if it, not only if it costs us little, but even if it costs us a lot, our very own lives. Lord, help us. And I pray that if there's a, a person here who's yet to turn to you, Lord, they would do so this morning. and Simply confessing their need, uh, their sin before you, and calling upon Jesus in faith to save them for he alone died and rose from the dead. Lord, would you have your way in us? May you intervene in our little stories to be a part of your larger story of redemption in this time, in this day, in this age, in this place and around the world. We ask and pray in Jesus' name, amen.